Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. And I'm so glad that you're here in the house with us. So many guests, so many visitors, um, all our folks online this morning, man, welcome to Transformation Church. I hope that online and in your homes and wherever you are today that you have felt the presence of God in worship. Um, I can tell you with all honesty that his presence makes a difference. Where, Where Jesus is, where his presence is, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. There's so many places I could be. I could be at the golf course today. I could be anywhere else, but I, I, the most important place for me is in his presence. And the beautiful thing about his presence is it is everywhere. It is everywhere. And it meets you where you are. You, every one of you. I'm not just talking broadly at the crowd, not broadly at online, but listen, look, look, look at your pastor this morning. He, he will, his presence will find you. Yeah. And what is this word promise? If you seek me, what? You will find me. Yeah. It's an assurance. Um, you can turn in your Bibles to Math, uh, not Matthew, Acts chapter 5. We're still in the book of Acts talking about boldness. And um, I'd love to know. You know, I haven't heard any stories this week, but I would love to know how God is using your boldness in your different circles, in your home, in your community, how God is using your boldness. And I just want to preface today's message with this. Um, You may leave offended. This whole message, I've been preparing this for months. And look, if you came here today for a back rub, unfortunately, This pastor is not going to be able to give you one spiritually or emotionally today. Today, um, the Holy Spirit has leaned into my heart through his word. And so I will in exchange share his word with you and pray that it changes you. You realize that. We say this all the time. We say this all the time. There are better hobbies than attending church on Sunday and leaving the same. So, so if you're going to take the worship and his presence and, and you're going to feel it and you're going to look at the Bible and you're going to leave here and it ends at the door, man, there, go ski, go uh, shoot skeet, whatever, go eat some barbecue. Uh, it is pointless for you to be here and not allow the presence and word of God to inform and change your heart. And that doesn't just go for you. That goes for me. And so today, man, the Lord just shook me personally. Can I, so before any of you ever got offended, I've spent the last, this sermon has been planned for a year. Did you know that? A year. And the Lord knew what I would need to talk about today a year ago when I planned it. Did you know that? Acts chapter 5. Let's dive in together. You ready? Everybody say ready. All right. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, um, well, that's our gift to you. Take it home. Uh, We want you to know that what we preach here is not opinion, but the authoritative um, word of God. that's That's what we preach. So, Acts chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 17. Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. And they'll actually pull it up on the screen for you, I think. 
Yep. Okay, here we go. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out, and then told them this. Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Let's read 21 as well. It's not going to be up on the screen, but let's read. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. Um, You have come on a Sunday where we're closing out a series of messages on boldness. And what we've been looking at is Peter and John... Um, The story started, they healed a crippled beggar. He'd been uh, crippled for 40 years. Everybody knew him as crippled. Well, when Peter and John saw him, he actually asked for money. That's what he he thought he could get. And and Peter and John said, uh, well, gold and silver and gold, I don't have. But what I have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And that's what he did. That's what happened. Um, it's also important to know these aren't, uh, we believe, these are not fairy tales. This isn't a piece of fictional literature. But this happened. This is history for us. And so, the religious elite at the time got upset. And they say, who told you you could do this? And they said, you killed him. His name is Jesus. He's the one who has done this. So they got in some trouble, caused them. Their boldness, their bold prayers, we talked about bold prayers a couple weeks ago. Their bold speaking got them in trouble. And and today we're going to see how their bold obedience, everybody say obedience, bold obedience lands them in some trouble. Um, And so I have three things for you that the scripture points to that, happen when you're boldly obedient. What does it look like to be boldly obedient, especially today? And that's what we're going to talk about. Bold obedience. And the number one thing that we find here in Scripture is that when you're boldly obedient, bold obedience usually triggers opposition. When you are boldly being obedient to the Lord, you will face opposition. Everybody say opposition. I just want to make sure you stay awake the whole time. In verse 18, it says, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Okay? There is a mindset amongst Christians today that if I am obedient to the Lord... I will not face opposition. There's an idea that if, if, if I obey God, now some of you may be under this impression this morning. So listen, I'm lovingly telling you that that's not the case, especially when you're boldly obedient. You know, there's one way to be obedient that um, is easy. And then there's other obedient that is bold. And not easy, and not about you. Well, pastor, I read my Bible every day. You know, I pray every day. Well, that's real easy. Honestly, if you're reading and praying your Bible, that is great obedience. But let me tell you something. To read and pray in your workplace in front of everybody else, that's not as easy. In fact, you might overlook that type of obedience. And the Christians in Acts would, uh, would probably call you a lightweight um, with that type of obedience. But listen, so it usually triggers opposition. They arrested the apostles, put them in public jail. Here's the deal. This is the second time they have now been in prison. They've been boldly praying, boldly being obedient, boldly speaking, and this has landed them in jail. I remember uh, 
So I went to college in Cleveland, Tennessee, and, um, which is not a short drive from here. Anybody ever been on 81, uh, Interstate 81, between, like, you get off on 64, going 81 south? There's lots of truckers, right? You get lots of truckers, and you know what else you get? State troopers. They love 81. If you've never been on 81 south in western Virginia, and you have a lead foot, don't go there. Just stay away, and I'll tell you why. Man, the church I grew up in was... Charismatic. It was Pentecostal. So in Pentecostal churches back when I was growing up, and, and if you, you're those older than me probably remember this even more so, but Sunday night was the real church service. So we would come on Sunday mornings, and, and the Baptist crowd in here is like, what is he talking about? What does he mean, the real church service? Well, let me tell you. You came to Sunday morning, man. You saw everybody there. But for those who wanted the Holy Ghost or those who wanted to, as Luke was saying this morning, get their dance on, lose some bobby pins. Some of y'all are like, man, how'd he end up our pastor? I don't know. Look, it must have been the Lord. But Sunday night was the service. So I, when I was in college, I would try and hang around on Sunday afternoons because I wanted to go to Sunday night church. But Cleveland, Tennessee was nine hours away. So when you get out of church at 10 o'clock at night and you've got class on Monday morning, what do you do? You put your foot in the gas because you're sleepy. You've been shouting all night. You're tired. And inevitably, and I mean, I can't even count the number of times, them old blue lights come up in my rearview mirror coming down 81. And it was 81 every time, every time. Do you know? (laughs) Woody Jones knows what I'm talking about. Those blue lights show up. And I remember, I remember, I remember uh, early on, I would, um, <laughs> the first couple times, I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm going to college to be a pastor. I've been at church all night. Can you help me out? Dear God, somebody, can you hear me, Jesus? Help me. It worked on occasion, and thank God it drops off of your driving record after a few years, But because uh, y'all would just be, I, y'all would be like calling me to repentance over the, the disobedience that I, but I thought right out front, I thought, you know what, I'm serving you, Lord, can you get me out of this, but listen, Just because you're trying to be obedient doesn't mean you're not going to face opposition in your job. Opposition in your marriage. That you'll never get sick. Man, how many conversations have I had with somebody who just got a cancer diagnosis and they say, Carl, man, I know the Lord. I'm being obedient. You know, why is this happening to me? You will face opposition in this world. You will face opposition in your workplace when you try and speak up about the Lord. You will face opposition. And if I could give you any advice, I would say this. If you are not ready, hear me, if you are not ready to face opposition in your, in your obedience, you are not ready to be used by God. I think some of that just went over you, so I'll say it again. If you're not ready to face opposition in your obedience, you are not ready to be used by God. Some of us want to be used by God. I'm not saying you don't desire to be used by God, but what I am telling you is if you are not willing and ready to face opposition, you're not ready because you're going to face opposition. Number two, bold obedience often releases God's miracles. 
Bold obedience often releases God's miracles. In verse 19, it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Now, the first thing that caught my eye as I was reading this, Luke is, is writing this particular book. And he writes this verse so nonchalantly. That's a good $15 word right there. Y'all aren't even impressed. It takes, you know it takes a while for me to work those up. Um, he writes this so low-key. He does. But during the night, the angel Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. So they've gone to prison for the second time. And if I'm writing this, I'm thinking, man, I need to write this. I need to, I need to line this out so people understand the grandeur of what just happened. You realize an angel walked in the room and opened the door to the jailhouse and let them out. And you know, you know what the Lord told me? You know what the Lord revealed to me through his word? He said, when you walk in obedience to God, you're not surprised by the miracles of God. Many of us, now look, sometimes God shocks me. Uh, you can talk to Ian. I just had a conversation with Ian about some engagements I've had this week that have just been shocking. Like, how can, how can you, how could you ever uh, not believe in the existence of God when he works some of these things out? But listen, the more you walk in obedience to God, the more miracles you will see. And many of us don't see miracles because you're not walking in obedience do you get what I'm saying here? Do you follow what has to happen? Am I saying that you have to work a specific formula to get God to do what you want him to do? No, that is not what I'm saying. God is no genie in a bottle, okay? No. But what I am saying is, if you are not being boldly obedient, then how is God going to work miracles through you? When you walk in obedience to God, you're not surprised by the miracles of God. And number three, bold obedience always requires faith. Everybody say faith. In verse 20, it says, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Context here. They have now been to prison twice. Upon exiting the prison the second time, this is what the Lord tells them to do. Go do what just got you in here again. Go back to the temple and go preach this same thing again. That's not easy. Don't read this and think, man, these, these guys, you know, they're... They're, they're, they, they're supernatural guys. No, they are ordinary people. We talked about this. They are ordinary men and women who serve an extraordinary God, an empowering God, a God who is not afraid. So on our part, it requires faith. Three years ago, no, longer, almost four years ago, um, my father-in-law, uh, who does insurance, um, connected me with a local pastor. Pastor needed some help with music. There were some transitions going on. Church was um, kind of on a downward decline and so I met with this pastor um, pastor uh, honestly said I made him nervous because I had a Pentecostal background he said I don't know man <laughs> and look I didn't blame him I didn't blame him but the church we were at at the time 
had a thrive. We were student pastors at the time, me and Kirsten. Uh, we were student pastors. And um, the youth group was booming. We went, we, we planted this youth group, really. I mean, we, we met at, in a horse barn. We met at a racetrack. I mean, we've met all over the place with this church. And the youth group went from about six or seven uh, to upwards of 30, 40. Sometimes on trips, we'd have 50 kids go. 50 people go. We were comfortable. My mortgage payment was beautiful. Mortgage payment, a little tiny house, a little tiny starter house. I grew up in that community. I was very comfortable. And God was using me. Um, and then, so I told him no. I said, no, I got a good, everything's fine here. Uh, but I'll, I'll help you on Saturday nights. We, uh, and just to make a long story short, ended up meeting uh, with one of the leaders here, Woody, at a Wendy's over in Quentin. First time I met this tall, stork-looking fella. Uh, <laughs> he's one of our elders now. And, um, man, he said, we think you're the guy. We think you're the guy. I said, no, I'm not your guy. I am not him. You ever been presented an opportunity that just sounds like it is not what you want to do? Huh? Anybody? Yeah. And you're like, no, I'm not doing that. That was me. No, I'm not doing that. Well, my stubbornness pushed, the, just pushed the envelope. And so what the Lord ended up doing is I was, it was Friday night. I had a dream that I was preaching right here in this pulpit. I wasn't, le it was wild. It was wild, the dream. As a matter of fact, I woke up and said, I probably had some bad spaghetti. I'm not, that's a weird dream. That's nothing to think of, not even gonna talk about it. So I didn't talk about it. Monday night, we sit down to have dinner. My wife says, man, I had a wild dream last night. I said, oh yeah? Tell me about your dream. She said, you were preaching from the pulpit at Southside Baptist. I said, shut your mouth. You got to be kidding me. The Lord brought us here in 2000, January of 2017. And we watched things continue to decline. Now, think about this. Think about this. Me and my wife have come from a very comfortable place to a place where we thought we were being obedient. God, know that, you know, you, you think you have a dream. And then I thought, we, we were here for several months. My daughter was the only kid, uh, one of maybe two, depending on the Sunday, in the nursery. And here I've brought my family to what doesn't seem to be a bettering situation. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe my wife had bad spaghetti. Yeah, you better sit down. I love you. I'm, I'm just kidding. She said, she said. She said, she's going to be so glad when, when uh, Alyssa goes back to kids' church. She's going to be so happy when we have kids' environments again. I got I to gotta move. I'm sorry. And I just want you to look around. When, when we got here, there were, uh, right before we, the church relaunched, and let me tell you, God, you, this is not a story about Carl, okay? Let me tell you, this is a story. If I could tell you the whole story, it'd take forever. But it got down to 20, 30 committed believers, most of which were retirees. And in obedience, let me tell you something. Making the changes this church made, having been here since 1949, was painful for many. There was a lot of loss that was felt. But let me tell you about bold obedience. The people here, the family we have here were boldly obedient. My wife, we continue to be obedient 
despite opposition. Let me tell you the amount of people who called me and said, you're making a mistake. Why would you leave? Why don't you come over here? We were offered more money. We were offered all kinds of things, opposition, opportunities, and we, we felt the call of God. And you know what he did? He knit my wife and I's hearts with yours. And look what he's done. Now, many of you don't, you, you might not understand what I'm saying right now, but if you looked around right now, in COVID, like sitting every other pew, we have doubled the amount of people that were in here two, three years ago. And then there's people online, and he sent people, and he sent people to serve, and, 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 and he was faithful in our obedience. He was faithful in our, our, our obedience. But uh, in 21, it says at daybreak, so they left the jailhouse. The very next day, first thing in the morning, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. They, so here's what they didn't do. They didn't delay and they didn't do it halfway. They went all in. They went all in. How many of you the all in types? Like you're all in? Anybody? Or, or uh, it's okay. You don't have to admit it. It's fine. Some of you are probably like those, those toe people. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I don't know. We'll see. You're like. They were all in. And when it comes to bold obedience to the Lord, delayed obedience is disobedience. Hear, my, hear the word of the Lord this morning. They did not delay. They did not do it halfway. They, did, they went all the way. They dumped completely off. So that also means that partial obedience is disobedience. So don't call your delayed obedience or your partial obedience as bold obedience. You can't do that. No, is it, it is in fact disobedience. I can't tell you how many times I've communicated to Macy to do something. Anybody got a toddler ever? You ever had a toddler? And you tell them to do something, and then there's like multiple like obstacles that get in the way. Like they, it's like been a half hour. Now my wife would say, you don't have to be a toddler. She would say, I asked you to get the trash an hour ago, to me. Okay, so it's just a perspective thing. But most of the time, if I can just vent for a moment, she'll ask me to take out the trash, and then 30 seconds later, she's slamming bags around and like, okay, I'll just do it myself. I haven't even had time to let my, my legs acclimate after getting out of the recliner. I need a minute. That is, that is not scripture. Um, and honestly has nothing to do with today's message. So maybe I need forgiveness. Maybe my wife needs forgiveness. But in, <laughs> I don't know. You, you decide. Um, delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. We have to obey God Immediately. Everybody say immediately. Immediately. Many years ago, I was, before I was ever married, I was at work. I was a security guard at a bakery. If you didn't know, I don't know why that's funny to you. Um, it was an awesome gig, okay? Uh, I had college during the day. Seven at night, I went down to Flowers Bakery in Cleveland, Tennessee in my Securitas uniform, and I watched the door. And I sometimes ate honey buns, and it was a good gig. Uh, it was seven at night till seven in the morning. Um, 
And I remember one night, someone popped in my mind, a friend of mine, and wouldn't go away. I just felt like I needed to call them, but I was like, maybe I'll wait till after work. It persisted all night long. The whole night, I'm sitting there watching people come and go. And um, so I finally I gave up. I, I, call, I, I, I decided maybe this is the Lord. Maybe I should be obedient. So I called, and um, they said, uh, Carl, why are you calling me right now? I said, man, I don't know. I just felt like the Lord wanted me to call you. I just, I just wanted to reach out. And he said, no, why are you calling me right now, right this minute? I said, bro, I'm telling you, I don't know. I'm just calling you because you're on my mind. You're on my heart. And he, and he said it again. No, Carl, I'm talking about right this very moment. Why did you call me? And I said, what is going on? Why do you keep asking me this question? And he says, I've got my dad's revolver in my left hand. And I just felt like it wasn't worth it anymore. Why are you calling me right now, Carl? And I said, I'm calling you right now because obviously God has his eyes on you. And he loves and he cares for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to put it down. And I want you to go across the street to your neighbor's house, and I want you to stay there for the night. He said, he was completely caught off guard. And it was only because I was boldly obedient immediately. This isn't a, wow, Carl, you're sure an obedient guy. No, it's not about that. It's about the urgency that God calls us to bold obedience right now, right now, right now. It's not good enough to wait. In verses 28 and 29 of chapter 5, it says, so the, they get out of jail. They get found preaching at the temple again. And these religious folks get fired up, and this is what they said. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied. I love this. If you outline or underline in your Bible, highlight, highlight this part. In, in, in Acts 29, it says, the, the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. You know what you see here? Priorities. Priorities. What, what are you talking about, Pastor? Here's what I'm talking about. We need to prioritize kingdom, his kingdom, over the United States, the Republican Democratic Party. All of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, here he goes. Here he goes. I thought we were going to get through this message and not get offended. No. We have a problem in the Church of America where we are more affiliated with our political views, with our opinions, and not the kingdom. And so we've gotten it all mixed up. We've gotten it all mixed up to where we're obeying man rather than God. And the first go-to for a Christian. So if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, or, or you're not a Christian, you're in this room, this is what it means to be a Christian. His kingdom first. First. Let me, first. In my home, in my life. In my obedience, my very first obedience is the kingdom. My very first obedience is the word. And, and, and God has called me to just give you a quick message from Luke chapter 10. About bold obedience and what that should. So many of you are probably thinking this morning, how can I be boldly obedient today? How can I be boldly obedient today? And I want to tell you that. And just for time's sake, I'm going to paraphrase here. We find the story of the Good Samaritan. 
in Luke chapter 10. Everybody say Luke. You remember what book Luke also wrote? Quiz time. Yeah, there we go. He wrote the book that we're currently in. In Acts, a tax, uh, a, a religious expert, a religious law expert, um, approaches Jesus and he says, well, it starts in verse 25. He says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied to him, well, what, what does the law say? You're a, relig- you're a law expert. Tell me what the law says. I can see the guy now. He puffs up his chest. He says, I got this. I'm an expert in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You've all heard this. Okay. So, Jesus said, do this. And you will live. Well, the man needed, the Bible says in 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. Okay, so evidently he's had some sketchy stuff going on. He felt the need to justify his actions. And so he asked this follow-up question. He said, well, who is my neighbor? Thought he was going to catch Jesus, right? So Jesus does what Jesus does. He tells a story. Tells a parable. Of the Good Samaritan. And just to paraphrase what happened in the story, a man was traveling down a very dangerous road. He gets mugged, beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Everybody say dead. Left for dead. Along comes a priest. And this is what the priest did. This guy's laying over here dead. The priest walks to the other side of the road and keeps on moving. Doesn't want anything to do with it. A temple assistant. So now we have a priest, now a temple assistant. All religious folks, by the way. Passed him by on the other side, just the same. And then the the Bible says, a despised Samaritan comes walking by, helps the man, puts him up on his horse, carries him to town, puts him up in a hotel, says, take care of this guy until I get back, and if he needs more money, I'll pay you when I get back. Take care of him. And so... Jesus looks back at this law expert and he says, who was his neighbor? The the man replied in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. I've got some challenges today. And my challenge is this. I think bold obedience, everybody say bold obedience, Bold obedience in the church today, and the call, I think, for Transformation Church is that we need to better love our neighbor. What do you mean, Carl? I mean, look all around us. We're not only seeing a race issue. We're seeing a neighbor issue. We're seeing a neighbor issue. Let me explain. Luke chapter 10 tells us to love our neighbor and then defines who our neighbor is. Now, when we talk about loving our neighbor, it doesn't say, I don't hate my neighbor, right? Does the Bible say, don't hate your neighbor? No, he said, love your neighbor. And I think many of us are caught in a place where we would say, no, I don't don't hate the black community. I don't. I'm not racist. I've got black friends, all three of them, that I talk to maybe a handful of times in a decade. And then we say we're loving our neighbor. And I've got to be completely honest with you this morning and say we, as a church, are doing a very poor job of loving our neighbors. Look at this story. What's the very first thing 
that this Samaritan did that nobody else would do. He responded. He didn't retreat. It calls for a response. Loving your neighbor involves a response. Not just a, hey, from the distance I'm praying for you, but a response. A stepping in. And many of us as Christians, specifically white Christians, want to stand back and do a bunch of fact-checking and do a bunch of, oh, well, look at this. Oh, look what he did. Oh, look at this and that and the other. But, and use that as excuses not to love our neighbors, our black brothers and sisters. Can you honestly look at yourself today? Let me ask you this question. Can you look at yourself today and say, do you, and say you have been loving your black brother and sisters? The other thing he did is he cared. He didn't critique. What did the other two guys do? They walked across the road. Oh, he probably deserved it. Who knows what he did to, to get that, to get, end up there? He shouldn't have been traveling by himself, just trying to throw out a bunch of this, that, and the other to justify them walking to the other side of the road. In fact, that is not loving our neighbor. No, he calls us to care. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter why they're hurt. It doesn't matter how they got there. Our response, our kingdom first response has got to be caring. And look, it is so easy. And let me tell you something. Proximity matters. Can you care for someone? Could he have cared for this man from a distance? No. He got down. He got dirty. He probably got blood all over him to take care of this man. And look, I can see you wriggling inside. And you know how I know you're wriggling inside? I wriggled inside. Look at your pastor. I was doing a poor job of loving my neighbors. As I looked around, my circles were all white. On purpose? No, of course not. But many of us are forming opinions and political views, and you have not yet talked to one black member of the community or even in the community of faith. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you checked in on a black brother and sister in the faith and asked them how they were doing? You know what? For the majority of you today, you have not. And it's so easy, let me tell you, this is why proximity matters. It is so easy to throw stones and judgments and, and make calls and you've never been black and you don't, you're not even kingdom-minded enough to step in. We need to respond, not retreat. We need to care, not critique. Many of us are just saying, I don't want to get involved. That is not a kingdom loving your neighbor response. Because what are you called to first? Are you called to fact check first? No. Are you called to a political party first? No. Are you called to be a truth teller first? Because this is what we do. We say, oh, I'm a truth teller. I'm a truth teller. I'm, I'm just tell the truth. But then when, when the Bible says Jesus came to give grace and truth, we just leave the grace to the side and decide we're going to forego being a loving neighbor, which is the first command. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. Not sit back on Facebook and throw lob insensitive comments when you haven't even had a conversation. We had an elders meeting this past weekend and, man, we have such loving, caring elders. You know what they said? It is so much easier to love someone when you know them. It is so much easier to love someone when you know them. And if you're feeling convicted today, I'd hate to, I, I hate to say it, but I'm glad. You need to feel convicted What defined being a loving neighbor? This is the bold obedience as the band comes back. This is the bold obedience I think God is calling you and I to. This is the bold obedience. 
to love your neighbor. Not from across the street. Not, I know, I know this black guy or girl. I, I know them. Yeah, well, you, you don't ever talk to them. And, and so this isn't just, oh, I work with, with people in the black community. It's not just I know someone. Proximity matters when you're loving your neighbor. And let me tell you something. Because I'm just going to confess to you. God has convicted my heart. Not of some overt racism. And, and honestly, what I've learned is there's prejudice all around. Doesn't matter whose heart or what color their skin is. We battle prejudice in our hearts. And the Lord has convicted me that I have not been intentional about loving my neighbor. God help us. God help us that we're, we want to judge all their protests. When Did you know in the 1960s, you know who led the charge on protests? The church. Now, you probably, oh, pastor, well, they were peaceful and this, that, and the other. Listen, we cannot critique. There are right things and wrong things. So let me tell you what I'm not supporting. I'm not supporting police bashing. I am not supporting the smashing of stores and businesses and some of the foolishness that's going on there because some people are just taking advantage of what's going on. But let me tell you something. We have little room to say something when we stepped away. The church seems to have disappeared in defending the image of God in all people. And all of a sudden, we want to step back and critique everything they're doing. No, we need to step in. And I think the problem has become, God help us, that we've walked to the other side of the road. That we've walked to the other side of the road. And we've said, no, I'm not going to deal with it. I'll pray for them. And somebody will help them. Somebody will step in, and honestly, that is such weak faith. It's weak obedience, and it is not bold. And honestly, it does not represent the body of Christ. If you are a Christian in here today, I'm asking you, I'm asking you in bold obedience to step back across the road. Step back across... Do you have to be right? No. Do they have to be right? No. Does loving your neighbor have anything to do with being right? No. You know what defines being a loving neighbor? The one who showed him mercy. It takes no information to show someone mercy. And God help us if, if the Lord showed us the same mercy we're extending to people of color. God help us if we show up before the pearly gates and he gives us the same grace and mercy that we're extending to our black brothers and sisters. God help us. No, he's calling us to bold obedience. You have a problem with today's message? You have a problem with God, not me. You have a problem in your walk of faith, not me. You have a problem with scripture, not me. I'm asking you, God's asking you, his word is asking you today. What does boldness, bold obedience look like today? It looks like loving your neighbor, caring, getting to know someone, responding, getting close. And not throwing cheap shots like, oh, well, pastor, all lives matter. Everyone knows that. The black community even recognizes that. But let me tell you something. If you're sitting at a dinner table and we've all got our food, and there's someone who hasn't gotten their food yet, what do you do? You don't say, oh, well, everybody else has got their food. All of us matter here. No. 
It matters because, look, those people that crossed the road, did that priest matter? Yes. Did the temple assistant matter? Yes. Did the Samaritan matter? Yes. Did it stop the Samaritan from crossing the road? No, it did not. Because all lives cannot matter until we're ready to cross the street for the one who's hurting. God help us. They're going to sing. You know what I want you to do? I want you to pray. What did we talk about this, this last four weeks? And some of you don't even know this. There are black brothers and sisters that come to this church who have experienced racism and prejudice that you have never had to experience in your life. And you know why you don't know? Because you've never asked. You've never talked with them. I'm encouraging you to do two things. One, pray. And then ask like David. Oh, Lord, search my heart and know me. For many this morning, you'll leave here and... You're just going to leave just the same and maybe with some sharp comments about how the pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not old enough to know. But let me tell you where this message came from. It came from the scripture first and foremost, but then it also came from a convicted heart that the Holy Spirit stepped in and revealed my inadequacies to loving my neighbor. Allow God to do that for you. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.